liver, you're fine. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Brews, Booze, and Reviews, a podcast where a bunch of us get together and we talk about beer and booze and where how it came about and how you make it, sort of, kind of, and we review the Right? We also review talk. the stuff, sorry. Oh, no, oh, I have to have the bad start. We need a swear jar. No, no swears. swears. Guy's been drinking too many reviews. <laughs> <laughs> now Four I gotta review your reviews. Right? Well, I'm your neighbor, Knox, and with me today to my right. Big Earn's here. Excited to be here. It's gonna be a fun day. Broke out the old podcast pants. Of course you did. In and public. for the first time ever, a new... Uh, this podcast sauce. Podcast sauce. Oh, I thought you were going to have an ankle nice. monitor. <laughs> ankle podcast monitor would be bad. Socks that have beer on them. That's Beautiful. And next, next, next to him, hey Chris. Hey, good morning, and it's good to be here. Oh, it's not even morning anymore. No, not even. No. no. Good afternoon. There it is. Good afternoon. It's uh, three p.m. and I'm Aaron from Junkyard Brewing Company. Hi, Aaron. <laughs> hey, Aaron. Good to see you. And uh, to his right, Jade's here. Hey, Jade. Good to Hi. have you back. Yeah. I'm Yay. excited to be here. And last but definitely not least, the man with the, with the quotes, it Chef is Kev. Chef Kev, and I think cinnamon toothpaste should be illegal. I'm I back. Agree. I back you up 100%. Who cares who's going to be next president? Get that <laughs> through Congress. Oh, no. Oh, crap. That stuff. Stuff. Get that stuff through Congress. Oh. <laughs> We're off to a great start, folks. So we are today, of course, talking with Aaron. We are at Junkyard Brewing Company out of Moorhead, Minnesota. Hello, Aaron. How are you today? I'm doing good. Sorry, I was just swigging down some of that ice auger lager. It's good stuff. Yeah, that's what I'm sipping on. So let's get to the meat of the bones. Let's um, the meat of the bones. I like the marrow. Uh, the marrow. Let's let's chat the bones about and um, the meat. You don't want to chew on the skin first? Chew on the skin, no. I'm, not. <laughs> I'm a boneless, skinless, chicken breast kind of guy. That's where oh, all the fat is. I know. So the tenders? <laughs> yeah, the tenders. Uh, so why don't you give, the, uh, give our audience a little bit of uh, history about Junkyard Brewing. I, I kinda, I, most of us here at this table know how you got your start, but a lot of people out there might not. So why don't you give, them, give our audience just a brief rundown of how you got your start? Uh, we started back in... 20- we... Yep, we, my brother Dan and I. Okay. Um, I thought it was just French. We. We, we. How do you say your last name? Uh, junk, most of the time, Junkie. Uh, if someone's curious the origin of the name or whatever, I'll tell them it's Junka. It's a German name. Okay. And in German, the J makes a Y sound. And yeah. then when there's an E at the end of a word, it makes kind of an uh sound. So it's Junka, if you're familiar with German pronunciation. My last nice. name is Mach with two A's. So, yes, I'm very, <laughs> very yeah. well-versed in German pronunciation. Okay. He's so now much better got... than the ones with one A. Well, that would be Mac, and my last name's Mach. Mac, Mach. Yep. Yep. Go ahead. All right. So starting back in 2012, we uh, incorporated the business in Minnesota, and I was asking around to friends, cousins, brothers, uh, asking around to see if uh, if someone would be interested to help me start the brewery, and my brother Dan was, was interested. Um, mm-hmm. He had, And at, at this point, you were just, you were just home brewing, right? And were you <clears throat> selling any of it to your friends or just giving it yes, out? Or? I, no, definitely not selling anything. No, <laughs> legal, not legal anything. Um, 
Now, to backtrack a little bit, I had learned to brew in college freshman year, probably 18 or not. Well, I don't let I don't remember what age. Let's just say that. Um, learned to brew in college. Taught, Legally speaking, 21. Taught, you know, the day you turned 21. Taught Dan to brew when he was uh, maybe even younger than that. I don't know. Memory's getting a little fuzzy. Um, so he had he, he already knew how to brew. He was home brewing. He, he brewed with some friends. Um, he brewed in college. And then in 2012, we incorporated the business. Um, had another friend involved at that point, too. His name was Shane. Um, he quickly realized that he wasn't going to have time for it, and so he just kind of dropped out. Um, so Dan and I got it started with... Uh, money that we had saved after college surprisingly we had some money saved we pulled it together so you were smart businessmen we did any of you see that video on our social media from a, a liquor store down in the twin cities it was uh i think it was the king size delivery and there was a video of the line of people going through to grab the cans and there was a guy with a baby like a bassinet or whatever you call it a baby Stroller? Baby Colt. No, he's carrying it. Oh. Um, he had it in one hand, and he was grabbing crawlers with the other hand and stacking them into, oh, the, into the baby with the with the baby in there. Oh, I thought maybe there was no baby. That was no priorities. He, he, he wasn't just using it to carry. There was a baby in there too, so he was he was sticking them in there. It was just social media gold. Hey That's man, awesome. oh, boy, when you no. got to get the beer going back home, you got to get the beer going back home. Yeah, I don't know. if Mama was happy to see that one on the interwebs. <laughs> I'm gonna dig that up when when we're done. I'd be like, see it. Oh, What's the other option? Leave the baby in the car in the parking lot? That's, that's also that's frowned upon nowadays, no too. Yeah. That's how your windows get broken. Yeah, yeah, and that's how you get arrested. This is why kids, kids have yeah. no immune systems. You can't leave them in hot cars anymore. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Casual beer sip. We're just going in for one. <laughs> there we go. Hour. Uh, so when you came incorporated in 2012, was that when you were down here just a block from that was about That was thir- 2013. We okay. sold our bur- first beer. Legally in 2013, uh, where we, when we did a tap takeover at Jail Beers in Moorhead. Nice. And it was two beers. It was a Hatchet Jack. Or maybe it was just one beer. I think it was two. I think it was Hatchet Jack and Scrounger. So your Porter. Yep. Yep. I like that Porter, by Baltic the way. Porter mm-hmm. and then Scrounger, which is both of those beers have stuck with us over the years. Um, the recipes have been fiddled with, but the names and the brands have stuck around. And the general idea of what they are has stuck around. Um, so it was two beers at that time. Um, we thought that a Baltic Porter and a Cream Ale were kind of edgy at that time, which shows how much the industry has changed and yeah. how far we've come as a brewery. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was it was exciting to see our beer on tap for the first time. Um, where did we go from there? So we that was 2013. Uh, it took a little while to get all the licensing in place, get opened up. Um, get the get all the permits and everything to do what we were doing. Uh, the city didn't have a brewery license on the books at the time. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. They just didn't have it at the city level. It existed at the state level. Gotcha. So it was some city council stuff to, to take care of there. And then, uh, yeah, we got opened up in 2013, started selling kegs to some area bars and uh, started selling growlers on Wednesdays and Friday nights. And we did that for about six months to a year before we ended up moving over to this location and opening the first tap room in 2014 the fall of 2014 and that's the one that's on the other side of where we're sitting right right now yep yep Yep. so you've obviously had a couple expansions since then when did you come over and expand into this side uh when did you find that to be a necessary evil of the business and i mean how long did it take for for it to get to where it's at right now 
Just the brew room. Because you also expanded your back a lot, too. Yep. You're t- <laughs> so you're talking about the tap room. You, both. Um, both the tap okay. room and the brewery in the back. Yes. Okay. Well, getting back to 2014, we still had homemade brewing equipment at that point. We had uh, plastic food-grade conical fermenters, and which a lot of people still do go that route when they're starting up. They're so much cheaper than stainless, yep. but they're just more difficult to clean, more difficult to work with. They're not made for brewing, so you have to do. You have to be kind of handy, make your own CIP uh, cleaning kinda, situation. Yeah. yeah, make your own clean-in-place CIP equipment for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, they get spoiled really, like they get infected really easily. Because um, that stuff plastic. just soaks into the plastic, right? <clears throat> yeah, plastic's a lot more porous than stainless. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, you can get, if you get a little lactobacillus or something in that plastic, it's going to spoil the beer and turn it sour um, real quickly. And that was before sour beers were cool. So <laughs> having a sour beer wasn't a good deal. Yep. And we had a couple beers that went sour within the first few months um and we pulled them we didn't we didn't let them they didn't make it into the market but um that yeah we learned we learned a lot in those first few months um so moving over here in 2014 still had homemade equipment and the tap room did well enough that we were able to um upgrade that equipment within about the first year here we went to stainless and uh, sized up to a three-barrel brewing system at that point. I mean, obviously, that's when the, the, the quality started really leveling <laughs> off into a more consistency, right? Yep, leveling off is probably the right word for it, where we um, the quality just skyrocketed real real quickly, in my opinion, mm-hmm. and then kind of level, leveled off and slowly, hopefully people agree, it, it's improved over the years, but it's it was a lot more slow and, and methodical improvements after that. And that was in 2014 when you upgraded to the three-barrel system, uh, stainless? Was, I believe that was, well, it was probably early 2015 because we opened the tap room in, in the fall of 2014. And looking back, um, the fall was the, because we, we opened it, the tap room in September of 2014. And the fall was probably the most depressing time of the year to open the tap room because we're a, se- we're a seasonal business with the patio. Things get busier in the summertime. Mm-hmm. Summertime's our peak. Mm-hmm. Um, winter time is our slower season and it happens every year we didn't know that yet when we were opening the tap room so we opened and and um, we just we thought man is this this it like <laughs> is this I you know uh, we'll, we'll be happy with it but we thought there was going to be a little bit better reception to the place how dare people not show up in the dead of winter <laughs> yeah <laughs> well we were I mean yeah we had some we had we had nights where we do two hundred dollars in sales, and I don't. Oof. You don't even need to be in the business to know that's not very good. <laughs> no, no, it's not. No, you don't need to be in any kind of business to know that's not very good. That's yeah. That's like that should be a half hour at a at a at a, at a fast food restaurant. You know. Yeah. So we it ten was, minutes. Ten minutes. Yes. Yeah. People would have. Other people may have pulled the plug at that point, but um, we kept going got into our first summer and uh, things started really really trending upwards so we started buying some more fermenters eventually over the years we started adding some seven barrel fermenters um, double batch size fermenters so we we're brewing on a, a three barrel stainless system for a long time and then uh, how many different uh, like fermenters do you have with a three barrel system until you would decide to re-up to a seven barrel did well, you, did you still went, keep the three barrel systems for your experimental stuff or in 2017 so to continue the storyline, in 2017, we up, 
we upgraded to a 10 barrel system, which is in the back of the building. And nobody sees that unless you get a tour because there's no windows to it. I got a um, tour. It's yeah. Ryan, you're he's a brat other, <laughs> on the other side of the wall behind the scout camp logo is probably about where the grain room is. So right on the other side of that, but there's no windows to it. You got to get a tour of some sort to, uh, to see what's going on back there or be a, state inspector or something so you have how many now there's you have like we have five about, or six don't you no? we have about nine fermenters okay. back in the 10 bar- on the 10 barrel system and most of them are double most of them are 20 barrel fermenters okay. so they're uh, double batch size and then the, Damn. So, the, so then your mash ton and whatever is just a 10 barrel mash ton, yeah right? okay. well it's like a 15 barrel mash ton we okay. we got dan, yeah dan dan uh requested an oversized mash ton so that we could do imperial beers with no problem no not no need to double batch the mash gotcha to get that higher gravity so you don't have to sparge as much oh there it is sparge you guys like that word huh it's yeah. everybody's favorite word yeah. it's a thing sparge so when you're doing today. it so we'll talk about that kind of stuff <clears throat> later but um so so doubling the size of your tap room how much of a of a that was actually sweaty palm for, mold was that, it for you that was actually needed for a long time Okay. Um, you just so busy all the time, especially no, in the summer. Or? In the summer, it wasn't as much. It wasn't really needed because everybody sat on the patio. So we expanded our. We we could like almost triple our seating in the summertime. So that's part of the reason why summers were so great. Mm-hmm. And as summers got crazy, um, there was a slowdown going into winter, but it wasn't as much as in the past. And we're talking like 2015, 2016. People would our winter started to get a lot busier and people would be packing in here. And, and we got to the point where 2016, 2017, uh, I would be bartending and I'd see people walk in and they would just look around and it's just elbows to elbows in there. And they would look around and walk right back out the door. And that really bummed me out. I thought mm-hmm. this is not, this is not, I mean, it's cool to be a, a happen like a busy place, but I just felt bad for customers who took their time to come over and try and visit us and especially they got, if they're coming from out of town they yeah. you've got a lot of visitors from out of town coming here who yeah knows, i who, come all the way from fargo sometimes yeah. so, <laughs> um, we dri- drive it's across a state it's yeah. a long trip crossing state lines river but yeah, yeah i remember coming in here a, a few times because you have have music over there as well yep so we'd come to see some friends playing too and have a beer and it's like stand in the back and watch which doesn't bother me i've, I've got good strong legs but yeah you know but it was yeah, wall to wall, elbow to elbow. There was a lot of that, and it was. I just saw a lot of maybe people were having a good time, or they thought they were having a good time. But I, looking around, I, I thought, man, there's a lot of discomfort going on here. People are just too crammed in. Yeah. Um, so to kind of get by in 2017, before this taproom site opened up, we changed our little three barrel brewing area into an additional seating area. We took out the three barrel system and put it into storage where the, units. Where the fooder is right now? Yep, where okay. the fooder is right now. And we took all that stuff out and put it into storage units and used it for one winter as an additional seating area. So I wow. built these temporary reclaimed wood panels that I could put up against the walls, cover the, the three compartment sink and whatnot, and changed out <laughs> some light bulbs to make it a little more dramatic bar type lighting in there. And it wasn't a bunch of <laughs> fluorescence. And, yeah. and we got by. Man. Yeah. And, we got, and people weren't drinking out of beakers and stuff, but nice. <laughs> I would drink so, a beer out of a beaker. Hell yeah! And so we got by for I one that one more winter with that additional like twenty spots, and and that just got that Maybe. was packed all the time too. So we thought this this 
and a taproom expansion is badly needed. But we had to get the brewing uh, brewing expansion in place prior to a taproom expansion. Otherwise, we knew we just wouldn't have enough beer. You got to get your distribution going before you get your taproom thing going, right? Well, is that what your thought on that mentality? Or? No, that it was enough beer supply to supply tap beer and off-sale cans in the taproom. Okay. Because we knew if we expanded our tap room, it's like having a tiny little kitchen and a huge seating area. If you don't have enough, if you can't make enough food to feed everybody who comes in, what's the point? There you You're go. You're doing it backwards. You Good gotta, point. You got to either do two things at the same time or one before the other. So we did, we did the brewery expansion first. So we did make sure to have enough beer um, to go around when we expanded the tap room, and then uh, the landlord uh, filled in, built this building, and, and his business uses the north half of this building. Or the North Third, I'm not sure exactly the, the breakdown, but um, yeah, filled in between the two buildings, and then we're leasing this this south part for the tap room. So that it added to like 1,500 square feet, and I think probably depending on how how they're laid out, like 70, 60, 70 seats plus standing room. So okay. yeah. You probably fit 150, 150 people in here. But it basically it people it, standing too. This is bigger than double the other tap room oh yeah definitely so i mean you're you're essentially tripling your 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 old size mm-hmm. to this and it's great i mean it's a sunday on a, on a random sunday but in the middle of winter and there's still a lot of seats being taken yeah, up there's a lot on of both sides yeah i'll say yeah it. more and seats than we generally see at tap room takeovers yes good job that butts. is for sure more right. butts more butts and seats oh, oh, guys I speak up once in 10 minutes, <laughs> and it's a swear word. You guys have miserable memories. So that's all I, I do. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got to say, uh, I did when I did come over here for the, the Barrel Age series, I got a ticket for the, the one apiece, uh, and I got the tour. I thought it was really cool back there. Everything looks like you got it situated in the most efficient way as you possibly can. Yeah, we've got the equipment crammed in pretty good back mm-hmm. there. Um, that's... We're, we're basically at capacity for space back there, in my opinion, mm-hmm. where if we, if we wanted to grow anymore, we just wouldn't have room. But I think we're at a pretty good spot for our capacity right now. And you just finished up this last, in 2019, with that new canning system you got, right? Yep. Uh, home, uh, do-it-yourself homemade canning line. That, so how many are you pumping out a day you know, on average? That canning line can do 2,000 crawlers in a day, no problem. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So what, what is the thought process also between uh, 750 milliliter or 23.56 ounce cans, crawlers, versus doing like a four pack of uh, 16 ounce cans? Well, I'm glad you asked for all the people who uh, have always wanted the <laughs> oh, same yeah, question. I wanted to know this and I'll try and sim- it's kind of it's a little bit complex, but I'll try and simplify it. So the state of Minnesota only allows us to sell 750 milliliter or 64 ounce containers from our tap room. So... We, really? Yep. That's weird. That's stupid state. And I'm not, not feeling bad at all about saying it's stupid. I think it's stupid. The law is, that law is really stupid. It only, can I say stupid one more time? Yes. I, yes. I, I, I hope you would. It, isn't there also a, a stupid law that says once you uh, sell a certain amount of gallons or barrels a year that you can no you longer can, sell crawlers? Yes, but they just increased that to allow some of the bigger breweries in Minnesota to, I think they increased that, unless my unless I'm getting things confused. Okay. Um, but that only affects some really big breweries like um, Castle Danger, Surly, Summit. Um, we're talking the biggest of the big ones in Minnesota. Okay. 
Um, but getting back to um, getting the stupidness, yeah, getting back to my stupid law. Yep. Yeah. We'll call it the stupid law. There we go. Um, it only allows breweries to sell 750s or 64-ounce containers right from their brewery. Um, so basically, that's what we're limited to. We could sell, we could, we could do that in a bottle or a can. And there was even some debate about that whether a can was acceptable to the state because some breweries started putting beer in 750 milliliter cans. And when I talked, when I sent an email off to our people at the state who regulate that and said, can we do this? They said, well, I, we can't, we can't approve that right now. Like we can't, we can't approve that, but we're not going to shut you down right now. It's kind of like up in, it's kind of in debate whether that's approvable. And it all came down to the definition of a bottle and in state law and a a bottle was not defined what, (laughs) what exactly a bottle was what constituted a bottle the state law said bottle and uh, but it wasn't defined so then the state stupid bureaucratic nonsense the the state attorney looked up the federal definition and of a of the went to it went to the federal definition of a container and it's basically anything that's sealed so then they approved it we could start selling crowlers um, which we did, but that's why we uh, package in crowlers in 750 milliliter cans, is so that we have something to sell customers here in the tap room. Uh, we don't, we didn't like the 64 ounce container size. It's just too big uh, for one. Mm-hmm. It's just too big uh, overall. It's. I seen a, I seen a 32 ounce that Drumcon Wrath used to use, and I'm like, wow, that's a big can of beer. <laughs> yeah, imagine a 64 ounce crowler yeah, yeah. can, uh, but. It, even a growler, a resealable yeah. growler, it's too big in my opinion. Like, who wants to drink 64 ounce? Well, I mean, I uh, put your hands yeah. down. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. if, it's, if it's ice auger lager and you're fishing, then <laughs> yes, you're definitely going to want a whole it's, crowler. You Chris and I didn't hesitate at all. Yeah, yeah. basically look yeah. at the look at the market and you'll see what <laughs> what people want to want to drink. Uh, smaller package sizes tend to sell a lot faster mm-hmm. um, so in general i think we all understand that people want a smaller package size it's less commitment you may um you may not you you may end up drinking a whole four pack of 16 ounce cans like you may sit down on friday night and you end up drinking the whole dang four pack of 16 ounce cans well you could have go, gone and got a growler mm-hmm. but you probably wouldn't have cracked that open. You might have been like, "Well, I should probably save this for some friends because I don't know yep. if I can handle this." Yeah. You didn't. Yep. You didn't believe in yourself, <laughs> right? <laughs> Even though you could right. do it, you didn't believe in yourself. Um, so there's a lot of people who can who could handle it, but it just comes down to convenience and and in uh, quality. And we didn't feel like uh, we didn't feel like people really wanted the 64 ounce package size as much as they wanted something smaller. Uh, we didn't feel like we could get as high of a quality beer in a 64 ounce growler at all times. Um, you know, people would put them back in their fridge half full, and then the second half would go flat and stuff like that, get oxidized and things. So we just doubled down on the uh, 750 milliliter growler and just got rid of growlers altogether about a year ago. I think that was okay. Maybe two. The time flies. But um, so that's why we're doing 750 milliliter cans for the tap room. The reason why we we sell those for distribution as well is because we didn't want we didn't want the hassle of having a second canning line, and we don't have space for a second canning line. So when you think about all the logistics that go into canning packaging beer in two different forms, it's you have to have another inventory of cans. You got to have a different inventory of labels for the different size, and then you got to have different boxes, different 
you gotta have those pack di- different pack techs or whatever. It, yeah. The more you think about it, the more irritating it becomes to think about having two different sizes th- styles of packaging. Even um, some breweries that that switch up between twelve ounce and sixteen ounce. And yeah. You know, it's like, why a, do they do that? Just <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of and that's a lot easier because you can do those on the same canning line. It's just mm-hmm. the height difference. The yep. cans the same. The lids the same and everything. Um, you would need probably different labels, but it's it's easier to do that switch up between uh, sizes on a, on the same canning line. There's really no way you're going to go between 750 milliliters and a 16 ounce can on the same line, unless no, it's a custom. Yeah, unless it's a custom line of some sort, and those are all going to be untested and very expensive. Yep. So <laughs> that's why we we do that for distribution, um, and we kind of decided that when we when we reach the point where we were satisfying demand and we we bumped up against that demand curve that we would just slow down at that point because the alternative is to to switch over and start packaging uh four packs of 16 ounce cans for distribution but also we would need to increase volume a lot more to make up for that um change in margin okay just call it that all right interesting so we basically we're reaching a point where the the marginal gain of, of growing more just wasn't wasn't really worth it, especially in the gotcha. current beer industry, which is so uh, competitive. And, it's cutthroat. And those those yeah. shelves are really uh, packed. So I, just I, this year alone, we had, we saw two breweries close. This is last yeah. year, so rip, 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 rip. Yeah, the beer market so. out there is, is forever changing. And um, <clears throat> why don't we take a quick break, refill our beers, and when we come back, we'll talk about some of the, the growing trends that uh, Aaron sees coming forth in the near future and um, about uh, some of his styles of beers that he's really good at making. Yes. Yeah, and I'll try and not talk so much so you guys can make no. some <laughs> No, no. This is your Trust turn. Me. This, yeah. is what, this is what's supposed to happen. You're doing it perfectly. You're doing right. it great. All right, let's I take just want to take that challenge of uh, drinking 64-ounce beer. What do you think, Chris? Oh, I think I could do it in a heartbeat. That's well, not right. a heartbeat. It would take a couple hours. Boom, boom. <laughs> That's just a measly four pints of beer. There you go. that way. <laughs> Welcome back from our break. And uh, we're sitting here again, Bruce Booze and Reviews at Junkyard Brewing Company out of Moorhead, Minnesota, doing our tap room takeover episode with them. And we're sitting with uh, owner and head brewer, Aaron. No, I'm not the head brewer. No? No, that's Just Corey. the owner? Yep. Okay. Who's the head brewer? Corey. Corey? Yep. Corey's the main man? Corey's the, Corey's the guy. He's uh, he's had the most professional brewing experience of anybody in Fargo Moorhead, to my knowledge. Oh wow! He's oh. had like ten years or more. Crazy. So how'd you yeah. land that fish? Uh, he had. He was working in a brew pub, and he was the head guy, the only guy at a brew pub in uh, Michigan that suddenly closed. The owner decided to close it, and so Corey was looking for a job at about the same time we were looking for more help. And he ended up coming over. This was in 2017, I think. Okay. And he ended up coming over here and kind of taking charge. So, so was it his ideas for these new beers, or you guys bounce ideas, um, or you guys plan it out, them, or some of them? Uh, ideas come from many sources. And Corey's a Corey comes from a very traditional background of 
like IPAs that are very bitter West kind of Midwest style of like what you would like a Surly Furious kind of yeah. IPA like that bittery yep. pale yep. ale style. Yep. Yep. I give them nice crap. and piney. I give them a hard time about that. I call it the Michigan sixty sixty recipe. <laughs> Crystal sixty and sixty IBUs. <laughs> uh, it's like a little caramely and uh, sixty IBUs. It's broad and average. That's yep. basically every Michigan IPA. Um, so yeah, that's the that's the background. It's what we grew up on, though, right? Yeah. Now that we're all old and yeah, <laughs> there's still and I, I find that um, people j- like all people us like, boomers, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> us, us boomers. Yeah, boomers yeah. You shoehorn that real well. Thanks. Yeah, I find that the boomers and the Gen Xers um, in general <laughs> like coming back. They like the New England style IPAs. Like they like the new stuff, but they also have a soft spot in their heart for the uh, older stuff too. They like the, the classic stuff. Yeah, they get irritated when we don't brew Coach Gun after a while. They're like, man, mm-hmm. you know this passing notes or Stephen Greens or whatever we have on tap at the time that's in New England. It's a, it's good. It's good, and they like it, but they're nostalgic for that sixty sixty. Yeah, well, every brewery brewery's got to have their like their flagship beers. You know, I mean, uh, to me, Junkyard. Uh, I disagree, but it spells Hatchet Jack, Coach Gun. You know, things I still like those really like, like that Peanut that Butter ex- Bandit, dude. Free candy. Yeah, dude. That that always has to stay. Yeah, in even if you're not trying I mean, to have I a flagship, people still identify things that they know you for. Mm-hmm. Um, which, yeah. Personally, I think people have have given you accolades for you for two things that you do especially well: your your IPAs and your sours. I think our stouts too. Stouts? Yeah, peanut butter band. Yeah, King I, size. I'm, I'm yeah. one of the stout people, but I've always been a stout stouts. guy. Yep. So I'd say I'd say sours, IPAs, and stouts. I think we're a little bit uh, we're we're uh, unique in the sense that we're known for. A major- we're known for more than one style. A lot of breweries, I think, get known for just IPAs or like that's a good sour brewery or these guys really rock the stouts. And I think it's very cool. This is just my perception of looking at the marketplace and, and it's interesting to hear yours thinking that it's mainly sours and IPAs. But I, I think we're we're known for those three categories mainly. That's what I see people get re- getting really excited about is our hazy IPAs, our sours, and our and our stouts, like all the pastry stouts too, especially. I was talking to you earlier today about the Willet uh, King Size yep. Barrel Aged Series. That was what my favorite of the year so far. Um, so how do you how do you get to the point where you're how do you perfect these recipes like that? I mean, it's hard enough for a brewery to be good at one thing, but now you're good at three things. How did you go about like getting your your sours so good? I mean, do you have your own specific souring agent that is is chemically for you and your brewery only, like some brewers do? Is it just a style that you do it in that's consistent, or what? What, what attributes to all that stuff? Well, our, I got to give credit to our our brewing team. We've got four four full time brewers. We got Corey, um, we got we got Corey, we got Peyton, we got James, and we got Tommy. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tommy was just in here a little bit ago doing some batch prep for tomorrow, I believe. Oh, nice! So I got to give credit for the, to those guys in how how much energy they put into educating themselves, um, learning more about beer. Um, they consistently doing research online and, and stuff yeah, like that. a lot yeah. of them are just really, really driving hard to learn more about beer and just make the best beer that we can make. 
and that's coming from in, that's coming from inter- internally. It's coming from with from themselves. No, I'm not cracking the whip, being like, "You guys got to listen to these podcasts, read these books, and stuff." They're learning stuff on their own and coming in and challenging the rest of our four guy team. Hey, let's try this. Let's let's brew this. Let's use this ingredient or these hops or whatever. And I think it's great that, that, that you're not afraid to experiment at all, you. I mean, you've done some crazy stuff. No, and sometimes to our detriment, you know, we've dumped some batches due to <laughs> experiments. Like, but we've used, uh, we started using, lately we've been kind of having a little heyday with bana- with banana. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you may have noticed we got, we've had, been coming out with a string of beers with banana in them. Um, the first one that we really, the, the first beer we made that we were going to actually package and put on tap and everything, that didn't turn out. We did some experiments with banana that led us to believe we knew what we were doing and we could go forward with a 10-barrel batch. And uh, womp, 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 womp. it didn't work out. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It was going to be a monkey tail-inspired uh, stout. Oh, like okay. the, mm. like yeah. the yeah, hometown or, or chocolate mm. chocolate banana. Yeah, chocolate covered banana. Yeah, mm. we were basing off the hometown Dairy Queen monkey tail. Nice. And trying to do a basically like a peanut butter banded but with with uh, banana. Okay. And the pro, what went wrong is the banana was super hazy. We didn't expect it to remain hazy, but it had this consistent haze that would not go away. Mm. And it looked like mud. So it tasted really good. Uh, the flavor was awesome. And I said, hey, at one point, hazy IPAs were not a thing. But then somebody started doing them. So maybe we just put out this mud-looking mud stout. IPA. See what happens? It was hazy Breaking stout the- because it tasted awesome. Breaking the mold. Um, but, yeah, we uh, ultimately decided not to do that and just dumped the entire 10-barrel batch. And since oh, then, no. yeah, that, it hurts mm. whenever that happens. And... Um, uh, since that, we have figured out how to make the banana clear up. So nice. uh, maybe come back to that one. But I that I forget what the original question was or what topic we were on. <laughs> so well, on the topic of bananas, to on the topic of bananas, we have the strawberry uh, banana terminal delight to try today that just got tapped, and yep. the and the tally man sour. I like IP. the tally man. That's got a kind of a mixed reception of people who either seem to love it or hate it. Mm-hmm. And I, I love it. Cause I'll let you know soon enough. All right. <laughs> so the, there's the a reason guy. why that uh, Terminal Delight is available is because the Peanut Butter Bandit is out. Rest in like, peace. Literally right. right as I'm going up there because I know Chris was pretty excited to try it because he's a big <laughs> peanut butter and beer guy. Um, yeah. There's a couple more my style. couple more things I wanted to ask you, Aaron. Um, now, do you have your own culture for your sours here? specifically designed for you um anything that i don't actually know i'm gonna pretend is a trade secret okay so <laughs> i'm just gonna say that right away okay how about how about your ipas everybody can kind of knows that what your kind of ipas taste like you have that certain flavor what do you uh, attribute that to is it just that you're using the same kind of yeast over and over again do you have your own specific um, yeast or but I guess I could circle back to your sour question. I don't think that your specific culture for kettle sours is most of the most of the sours we make are kettle sours. They're um, soured in the brew kettle, then heated up to pasteurization temperature, 
Mm-hmm. At least pasteurization yep. temperature, if not boiled again. And then uh, from until protein con- break, convention, and then uh, generally they're boiled. I think we're boiling them. Not quite sure, but I think we're boiling them prior to doing the kettle souring process too. Okay. So um, then heat it up to pasteurization temperature to neutralize those bacteria and then move into the fermenter and ferment with conventional brewer's yeast. So um, mm-hmm. I don't, you, there's a lot of really good cultures out there that you can just buy and use for a kettle sour. If you want more complexity, you're going to need to get, in, get into a mixed culture process where okay. you're not um, you're not killing off the bacteria. You're allowing it to co-ferment with yeast, probably Britannomyces too. So um, that touches on the sours. And then for New England IPAs, there's a lot of wizardry that goes into <laughs> creating the haze. How often do you experiment with temperatures, your fermentation temperatures? Uh, not not too frequently. often? There's a fairly narrow band where brewers like to stick with their with their fermentation temperatures. I've and heard 68 degrees is good. Yeah, good. It's okay. generally between 60 and 70, depending on your strain. Okay. The higher you go, the more ester production you typically get. Um, and generally within the first part of farm fermentation, yeast produce most of that estery, yeasty fermentation character within the first 24 to 48 hours. So uh, if you want a cleaner flavored beer, you, you want to keep it cooler during that initial phase of fermentation. It's not going to produce as much ester yeah. during that time. Definitely don't want to stress the yeast either. Nope. Uh, but they, they, uh, they speed up when you heat them up. Uh, when you heat them up, they start metabolizing faster. They speed up. They ferment hard. They ferment harder and faster. So mm-hmm. you can also uh, let a beer warm up near the end of fermentation to really give it that extra. Try to find boost. that fine line. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have any other secrets that you would possibly tell some of the year our home brewer? Well, that wouldn't uh, be a secret then. Yeah. 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 Can um, I have your social security number? I don't. What's your mother's maiden name? <laughs> yeah. What was your, your first pet's name? <laughs> I mean, I mean, brewing secrets, guys. Oh, like, well. like you didn't say that though. Something you could pass on to these home brewers it about some of your mistakes that you've made, like the like the banana thing. That was a good yeah. You found out about story. that. Uh, the first for home brewers and people getting started, the like a lot of the nuances and and, and things that were that we're really focusing on. Oh. A lot of the nuances and things that we're really focusing on at this stage are beyond where you're going to be at at a homebrew level. Like you need to focus on the. A lot of homebrewers, myself included, get wrapped up in like trying to get to the trying to get to the finesse level of brewing before they've mastered the basics. Mm-hmm. And what I tell a lot, the advice I give a lot of homebrewers is just focus on yeast. Uh, make sure you're pitching enough yeast. Uh, just focus on yeast health. Learning about. Learning about yeast, um, learning more about their life cycle, what they like and what they don't like. Um, a lot of home brewers, I don't think, are using, they're not pitching enough yeast um, okay. a lot of times, and so they're getting a stressed kind of fermentation flavor. Um, yeah, tell them, that's that's the first place I tell them to look, is just make sure, r- read the yeast book. There's there's literally a book called Yeast. The yeast book. Yeah, <laughs> it's <laughs> called Yeast, that's done by the brewer. Put out by the Brewers Association, and, uh, and it's not in the feminine hygiene. No, Ugh. definitely not. What, what is a stressed fermentation tasting note? Like, what am I looking for to know that that's a thing? Uh, like, get that really butyl, like, chewy. No, butyl's chewy. Tastes like wet hay. <laughs> butyl, I think, is a type of rubber. Um, a stressed, like a home brew. Band-Aid. 
Home, home brewers also have trouble with oxidation. Like when they're bottling and stuff, they're letting in too much oxygen into their mm. beers, and it's getting that cardboard sort of flavor. Oh, okay. Um, so that happens to a lot of home brewers when they're kegging or bottling. They're not careful enough to purge their vessels or get all the oxygen out. Um, and then what you're going to taste in a like stress fermentation or under pitch fermentation just this like chewy yeasty flavor where it's just like kind of fruity in a not so great way um I, it's it's hard to describe like chris hey now <laughs> <laughs> i'm, all the right I'm sorry i had to it's do it. okay <laughs> gonna have to edit that out now nope <laughs> so yeah, what other what other questions have you got for me? Can you bring in uh, growlers to have filled here? No, no. not anymore because of uh, yeah. Okay. We just that we just law? we quit. No, yep. you legally we could still fill growlers, but we've chosen not to. Uh, oh, all right. Made it a policy now. Yeah. So mm-hmm. to circle back to the stupid law, yeah. it all comes down to us not being able to sell four packs or twelve ounce, you know, sixteen ounces or twelve ounces here at the tap room. That's why we only package in 750s for the taproom and distribution. And the people who resist that change are liquor stores and distributors. Of course. Because they don't want breweries to take away from their business. They're afraid that opening up restrictions for breweries are going to take away from their business. And my argument in that in that regard is hey we're all minnesota businesses here why are we protecting some minnesota businesses against others absolutely Um, well i think it's short-sighted if you know if i'm coming to the brewery i'm gonna go home with a 750 can anyway but if i'm just at the liquor store i'm gonna buy it whatever i shop just based off location a lot of times so i don't think Mm -hmm. it's gonna affect it that much and also the reason that we're in any liquor stores in the first place that liquor stores are buying and selling our beer is the fact that Minnesota has laws that allow us to package beer, have a tap room, do a lot of things that could be seen as competitive with a liquor store or a distributor. You Um, you self-distribute a lot, don't you? But that's the reason we exist, because at a small scale, you really need to be able to collect you really need to be able to tap into that greater margin that's that's available by being able to sell your own beer on site, distribute your own beer on at, at a smaller scale. Does that mean you don't have a, a like a contract either with any distribution people? Uh, no, here? we don't. Okay, we have distribution licenses in Minnesota and North Dakota. Smart business model. And well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you um, flatter. I hate these like these. Butter- Freaking these uh, silly, silly. Ooh, uh, that's a big bad word. I'll edit that one. Put a chicken sound over it. <laughs> talk, talk about stupid laws. Uh, these lifetime contracts with distributors, I think, should go away. Yeah, I think they should be renewable. You sound passionate about it. Even if I'm very you, passionate about it. even if you don't, yeah, it is kind of silly. Um, a lot of this stuff is left over from prohibition times when, be- before prohibition, breweries could basically do whatever you could own the distributor you own the brewery you could own bars too and so breweries would and this is like if you come to the history on tap sessions here at here at the tap room uh that marcus kruger does from the historical society he'll tell you all about this there were bars in moorhead before prohibition where you'd go there and that was the schlitz bar and you'd only get schlitz at that bar and then you go to another bar and that'd be the hams bar you could Ah. only get hams at that bar and they were basically like brewery tap rooms but in the evil version where it was just really big breweries and lack of choice oh, um, that and just one style of beer so <clears throat> some of these laws are that we currently have are, are left over from that era where we had problems and we tried to correct it with legislation and now they're creating kind of a different 
a different uh, a different array of problems in the modern times. I know it's, everything just seems to get wackier and wackier and silly and silly. Yeah, but everybody's got complaints. I mean, we could change gears and focus on some positive stuff too. Yeah, yeah. I got a couple things for you. Uh, two more questions, actually. Where do you see the trends going right now? I mean, I, I've heard that there's a real nice push towards the more classic styles coming up now. Do yeah, you, I think do you feel of, that same way, or what do you, where do you think these are going? I think there's a little bit of nostalgia for classic stuff right now, for sure. Um, like, what are you like talking about, like these loggers? Yeah. You're like, seeing that pop up a lot more, which I think is great. For example, for years, we never thought that... We never thought that we'd have any success um, distributing loggers. I mean, we, we, they sold all right um, in cans at the tap room. And light beer in general sells awesome in the tap room on tap. Uh, a lot of us were starting off with the ice auger lager, I noticed. Yep. And that's just because people like that. Like, light beers are good drinking beers. You it's can, a good intro. You, you can mm-hmm. drink a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And if they're, yep. ta- if they're tasty, then um, that's just something for you to keep going back to. It's something... It serves a great purpose as like an introductory beer for somebody who's not into the craftier stuff, and it also serves as something that's just more of a sessionable beer for somebody right. who's not looking to get tanked at the tap room. But like right yeah. here too, in 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 this area, everybody's going out doing ice fishing or whatever, and you know, a lot of those people that I talk to are like, don't like these real fancy, weird, or you yeah. know, how you describe those but types of beers, in- but they like those clean. I want a Bud Light or a Budweiser, you know, and having Bush those latte. types of. Yeah, and having something that can you know that you can create—that's exactly like yeah. That, and they've had know, this atmosphere for years now, mm-hmm. where we're we're just telling everybody you should like craft beer. You should like craft beer. Like, <laughs> Shove it down their throats. I've got I've got friends. Yeah, I've got some. I got uh, a biking friend in particular. I'm thinking of. He said, "Yeah, I didn't drink craft beer until like three years ago when I got into." Uh, mountain biking and fat tire biking and then he said all the everybody i was getting from getting in this group with was telling me like you gotta quit drinking this domestic stuff and switch over to craft yeah so, and people that drink the domestic stuff they can still get a good craft kolsch or a good craft pilsner saisons you know, oh, it's man. like it's like the same thing but there's something for it's a lot more a lot more detail than how it was made you can not not bash the domestics and say hey there's a time and place for everything yeah you know yeah, there's yeah. a time when you got to pull off and get that mcdonald's hamburger uh because it's the right <laughs> time and place or whatever even if you're a foodie i mean there's to make the food analogy there's there's chefs i know who love junk food like frozen pizza stuff like that and yeah, he's a and chef. And he, yeah, yeah. And all, the comparison there. All is, I want is a hamburger at the end of the day, dude. A greasy cheeseburger. Yep. And at the the compare, like I know a lot of brewers who go to like Miller High Life mm-hmm. when they're hanging out at a party. That's the their their choice. Uh, mine always used to be hams. Harking back to our previous episode, we did a, a, a macro brew double blind taste test. We did. And our favorite was PBR. PBR followed by Budweiser. Day. Oh, nice. Yeah. Followed, by, followed by Budweiser. Blew my mind that yeah. we would like Budweiser in a blind <laughs> taste test. Really? My next question to you, Aaron, would be, uh, what is your favorite hop right now? Like, what, do you, what are you really looking forward to Ooh, experimenting like with you question. In, the, in the future? And what is your like your go-to hop varietal on, in an IPA that you want to drink? And malt. I'm curious of that as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Let's get into the malts. Yeah, um, I would love to get into malts. Um... Yeah, and picking a specific one is... Malt is seasonal, though, isn't it? Picking a specific hop is really tough. In general, we've been in... We've really kind of been into some uh, Australian varieties lately. 
I'm talking yep. about oh. um, Galaxy, Enigma, Vic Secret. Those are Australian-grown varieties. Um, okay. I've really been into those lately. I've also really been into some New Zealand varieties that we, we've got in. We brewed this uh, Passing Notes collaboration with, which is on tap right now, brewed yep. it with Black Stack Brewing, and we used a bunch of Waiiti hops what? from New Zealand in that beer. <laughs> and those, when we opened the bag of those, they smelled like fresh peaches. That's the, no the trade definition. Oh. In a lot of the trade definitions from hops are like over-exaggerated, kind of like they've sugar-coated it a little bit and they're mm-hmm. like you're gonna get this and that and this and that and you smell it and you're like okay i get hints but grass this one was <laughs> get grass hopefully not um but yeah this one was spot on the trade descriptions fresh peaches we opened the bag and i was like whoa this is definitely fresh peaches um really amazing for a hop and then this alongside was, about speaking yeah. of that collab collab with blackstack they also did one called promise ring that's the exact opposite of passing notes well right? it's not the op- they're both new england ipas yes but, but i mean they brewed theirs there yeah, yeah and collaborated we, yeah we brewed uh promise ring at black stack and then they murph came up here to brew uh passing notes so when you do a collab i've always been interested in wanting to know this too like how do you do a collab with another brewery you uh, go down there and bring some ingredients, and then they come up here and bring it some can ingredients? Be, it can be as involved or hands-off as you, as you want it to be. Um, in some cases, it's it's just simply putting slapping on the label that it's a collaboration. Not saying that that's what we've done, but mm-hmm. it can it can be as much or as little as you want it to be. Okay. And I, I kind of uh, just philosophically would like to get away from doing quote collaborations because i think there's just this kind of i don't know there's there's just kind of a i think an unappealing aspect of it to me that it's it's like yeah this brewery it's it's more of a marketing thing to me than it is like a real a real brewers thing like a uh, like a mind meld yeah, like you guys are getting I, together and actually doing yeah, a collaboration exactly oh. and so whenever we do a collaboration we really try to make it what we what we think it should be we try mm-hmm. to make it a real mind meld where we're coming up, we're collaborating on the graphic design for the can, the beer um, recipe, the process, everything. Um, we did one with Modest that was all, all, that was like that too, where we took aspects of things that they did well and things that we did well and stuck them together. And then we collab. We just brainstormed on it, that was the Betsy's Dark Secret and the Betsy's Bright Idea, oh. and we even collaborated on the label. We came up, dreamed, oh nice, dreamed up the label concept and drew up some sketches when we were. Uh, having a brew day down at, at Modest for that one um, with Black Sack, same idea. Murph and I were on a Murph and I were on a plane to dude white gummy bears. Yeah, that, how did that come about? That was his flavor description. Okay, and I think for, it was it was pretty accurate for the, um, for the promise ring. Yeah. yeah, but for that one, like uh, Murph and I were on a plane to Seattle. I, I got I was fortunate to be able to go with him to do hop selection for. Blackstack, and we're we're kind of brainstorming some graphic design ideas on the on the flight to Seattle. That's the kind of thing you want it to be, right? You want it to be the brewers. And then when we did, uh, don't you do a lot of the graphic design work for Junkyard? I do, and so that makes it. I was going to say, I pretty much do it all. Well, you do a wonderful job. Who does? You do all like the labels and stuff. Yep, I do pretty much all of them. Uh, Beautiful. Um, I, mean, I really like that one, the Nintendo cartridge. Yep, and uh, many of them, I can't. On many of them, I can't take credit for the concept. Uh, a lot of times, it's a 
brewer saying a brewer or somebody else here saying hey let's let's do this because names come from all kinds of sources and then sometimes the idea for the label concept comes from somebody else too and i just try and make it a reality yeah you have, you the, have some the of the names, most creative dude. freaking names australian cheat codes that was where does that come from that one i can tell you is an interesting story so tommy <laughs> nailed had it. an idea for an uh, a beer that had all australian hops in it and he wanted something he was calling it a hydra initially he wanted something that had three heads on the label <laughs> for the three different hops of galaxy enigma and big secret and then as i brainstormed about how to make the um like what we should call it because he didn't really have a name for it other than hydra He's like, well, it's Australian, so let's like, let's think about that. And eventually, we came up with Steve Irwin fighting some a three-headed crocodile. (laughs) (laughs) Australian, nice. And then uh, the cheat codes entered the conversation because um, a lot of brewers talk about cheater hops, like really, really good hops that you don't have to, that are just easy to add to a beer, and you don't have to think a whole lot about it. You just say, I'm going to put citra in this or mosaic in this beer, and it's going to be good. Yeah. It's just going to be good. I don't have to work real hard at brainstorming hop combinations. I just put these cheater hops in, and it's going to make it awesome. Or even boost another hop up. Like, you put citra in with something else, and it just makes it awesome. Citra and Cascade together, yeah. Yeah, you just throw... You, you put one total, of those cheater hops juice in and it Mosaic just, and and Galaxy. It just raises yeah. the it's whole okay thing. It's okay to cheat, I think, because those are fantastic beers that are made with those hops. Yeah, so then we came up with the Australian cheat codes. Steve Irwin fighting the three-headed crocodile, Australian <laughs> cheat codes. So Triple IPA, awesome. yep, holy that's cow. That's where that one came from. <laughs> yep. How about the... Uh, my favorite from the past is the Technicolor Dream Wolf. Uh, that one was real quick. I... I think it was. I think it was some. I think it was the brewers that came up with the name on that one. They had a name, so that was pretty easy for me. I didn't have to come up with a name. Sometimes they just give me a beer and they say, "Hey, this is what the beer is going to be like. <laughs> Figure something out." And I just have to come up with something. Uh, but that one, they had a name for me at least, and so I took uh, the graphic design in a little bit different direction than I typically do. I, want, I just wanted it to be very colorful, and so I grabbed a kind of a geometric image of a wolf and added a bunch of color and stuff like that so it is Perfect. gorgeous though i've never it, seen it until i got to oh. stare at it on the wall yeah nice getting back to my to my other question um about the hops do you see a, a, uh, something coming up that you're really excited to work with or a lot of brewers are excited about strata um let's see lotus brewers are all always excited about newer hop varieties that are coming out um, you have a beer right now that's got Lotus and uh, BRU dash yeah, one. Brew, brew one, yeah. Brew one's a new. It sounds. I thought I made the mistake of thinking Brew one was an experimental hop because it's got that name that sounds kind of like a, a something you'd call a hop that was in process. Yeah. Like we haven't named this. That's yet. Be just brew two, it. Brew C. One, yeah. yeah, yeah. This is XJY forty three. Exactly. YYZ RIP. Yeah. They sound like relevant. Rush. They sound like ham radio call signs or right. something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's what. But that one's not. That's from Brew Brew Lot Farms. Um, so that's where the brew comes from. The BRU is Brew, okay. brew Lot and the, Farms. And that one's called the what again? Storyteller. And that one so uh, I'm together. About that. 
You thought it, it, uh, it smelled a lot like that powdered tang, right? Yes, when we did sensory, Super orangey. when we did sensory analysis on that hop, which we were doing at the same time as we were brewing that Blackstack collaboration. Murph was up here, and we were doing. We had just got a bunch of New Zealand hops in, so we had opened up all the bags and, and ground up some hops um, with our herb grinder, and we were doing. Uh, we had them all laid out on a table, and we were doing sensory evaluation on them. And that's why we chose to use Waiiti in the uh, passing notes, because it was one that we all came back to and were like really wowed by. Um, so we, we wanted to add that one in the passing notes. Um, so that's another, that's how a collaboration I, I would, I think a lot of brewers and people imagine it to be, is a really like, we're getting together and trying different things. And, like doing it organically. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and it comes about yeah. because of like, the hops or malt that we're tasting together or something like that. We're putting our heads together. Um, but yeah, the the uh, Lotus in the sensory evaluation that we we're doing that way that day, we all really liked that one. Um, we got we, had, we wrote down comments like dream orange dreamsicle or a lot of orange based descriptions. My personal description was orange tang the drink mix. It was just like an gotcha. almost almost an artificial orange. It was so orangey. And a lot of times that doesn't come through in the finished beer, but in this case, it, I think it definitely did. The, this one's very orangey. Excellent. Is there any specific beer right now that's uh, happening right now that you wanted to give us some notes about, a story, good story about? Because I would like you to finish out uh, today with telling us a, a, a funny story or an embarrassing story. Um, I'm looking at the Midnight Spider and the label for that one. Uh, my daughter Madeline helped me draw that. I said, "Hey, we got a, oh, yeah. We've got. I've got this name for a beer called Midnight Spider, and it's um, the Rocky Road Stout. Yep, twelve and, and a half percent ABV. Yep, and she's actually done. She's other than me. She's probably done the most of our labels. <laughs> she's responsible right for the king size. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. The, nice. The king size label. Um, she didn't do the. She didn't sit down at the Mac and get on Illustrator and like do the final edits, but um, she did the drawings and stuff like that. And that what was her name? Madeline. Madeline. Yep. Nice job on yep. the labels, Madeline. Yeah, she's gonna love hearing that on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, on her way to school. Yeah. Well, she can't complain gotta, about this one, right? Exactly. No. <laughs> well, Madeline, not. get into some graphic design and, and I make hope us a she's career. She's getting some money for being the artistic. I wish yeah. we were getting some money. Don't, it's called an allowance. Don't tell her that. It's called an allowance. Yeah, it's called yeah, an allowance right. and a roof over. No yeah. bills. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. No, but when we were, ah, on, you, can, you can do better. Ask for more. When Ooh. we were starting, uh, so we sat down with the iPad and we start, I started drawing and I said, okay, what do we got? What are we gonna do? And she said, okay, it should be a kid in bed and there's a spider in the corner and the parents are looking in through the door checking on him, but there's a big spider in the corner behind the door. And so I started drawing, and I drew the kid in the bed, and she's like, oh, yeah, that's how the bed should look, and there's the kid. Make his feet sticking out and all the little details like that. She's pretty detail-oriented. <laughs> gotcha. She said, okay, put the spider over here, and I started drawing the spider, and she was like, oh, my gosh, it's huge. It's going to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> so I apparently drew the spider way bigger nice. than she wanted. But yeah, it's a, I guess a fun story of a label design. That's um, fantastic. Yeah. Do uh, you want me to go through any others? I, I don't have any. Up to you guys. Hey, what do you guys got? Any questions for Aaron? Yeah, you got any other? I have one. 
What is the craziest idea a brewer has ever pitched at you for like a beer beer flavor? Where no, you no. just went like, pump the brakes, man. That's that's too much. That's illegal in twenty states. Uh, yeah, that would have to be the green fluff that Corey came up with. Oh, our head I love the I green fluff. That. Yeah, I that. had that. Who uh, yeah. was that? The, uh, I dug it. Pistachio, it, it pistachio. One? Surprisingly, yeah. that one got good, good. good ratings, good reception, everything. When he proposed that, I was like, "This is gonna bomb," but go for it. Like, just try it out. Um, so, what's the green fluff? It's ba- it's we based it. on the Midwestern like Lutheran Church basement pudding. That's oh. like made out of pistachio, pistachio pudding. Yeah, yeah, pistachio pudding with pineapple in it, and generally it's marshmallows <laughs> and some other junk. green jello. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. delicious. Okay. Unhealthy, sugary garbage that they put in there. Yep. <laughs> and so that's what um, Corey bases beer on. He used real roasted pistachios, pineapple puree, and all all the other good stuff. A little mar- natural marshmallow flavor because I mean, there's. Is there such a thing as a natural marshmallow? That <laughs> <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Well, Have you ever seen Ghostbusters? Like cereal okay. marshmallow. marshmallow like, man. It's a gelatinous choking on you. Yeah. So, we so found, yes, we I believe we had some of that beer. I think Adam brought it over to a bar- backyard fire I had this last summer. Oh, right? Oh, I think so, yeah. It wasn't yeah. on an episode. You're right. Right. Nope. Thanks, yeah, Adam. there's a stuff called... Uh, we found some... There's a lot of different marshmallow flavors out there. But we found some stuff um, that was that's made with all natural flavors. Tastes like exactly the little marshmallows that are like in Lucky Charms. Oh. It has that like classic cereal marshmallow flavor. So we found found some stuff that gave us that character in the beer and, and used that for the marshmallow. And then everything else came together and it actually tasted like that green fluff pudding. And so that has to be like off the top of my head, that's got to be the craziest idea that we didn't even pump the brakes on. We just did it because that's kind of that's what we <laughs> do here. When somebody told me what it was, I, I did the same thing. I'm sure you did. I was like, oh, I'll try it, though. You tried it. You got to try it. Like, oh, my gosh. And yeah, it blew good. my mind. Oh, no. I thought I wouldn't be able to drink more than a half pint of it. But I, when I first tried it, I, was, I thought, okay, I could actually I could actually drink this. Yeah, it's really weird. It's not but, bad. But that's what we uh, that's what we make our name for here. Uh, just being experimental, pushing the boundaries. We were doing that a long time before a lot of other breweries started operating that way. For sure. Um, we we started doing that because we recognized that that's what we liked. And we thought a lot of craft beer consumers such as ourselves um, probably have a similar interest in just trying new things. We're not really brand loyal other than to hams. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Right on. Not really brand loyal. Yeah, I do like when you can go into a place though and get something that you know you're gonna like. I yeah, always experiment with something, but sometimes I only have time for like two beers. Or you so don't it's like I'm gonna to try to. something new and then uh, go with your old stand. Then it's too hard, you know. Or you don't have time to think about it a lot, and you just have to go with something that you know. Yep, Hatch uh-huh. Jack, give it to. Me. There's definitely something to be said for that. A lot of people do go back to, or, or at least if you if you don't know the particular beer, you may just go, hey, that's New Belgium. It's going to be solid, or whatever yeah. the brand is. True. Hey, that's that's a Summit beer. It's going to be it's going to be solid. I'm going with yeah. it. All right. Well, I tell you what, guys. Why don't we take a break? Uh, we'll let Aaron do his thing here at Junkyard. We'll come back with some samples of some of the beer on taps right now, and, and we'll uh, talk about some beers. We'll talk about. Them. Wow, sounds good, huh? I'm yeah. stoked. Aaron, thanks again here. for hanging out with us here yeah, at the Brews, Booze, and Reviews you, podcast. You were uh, a great guest, man. 
Yes, thank Hi. you so much. I appreciate I'm it. Super impressed with this setup. This is this is <laughs> very awesome. <laughs> thank well, you. thank you for we hanging appreciate out. That. Thanks for having us. I didn't know what it would be like to be on a podcast, but so far, two thumbs up. It's, right. Right. <laughs> it's just hanging out. That's what it boils yeah. down to. What's going to be more impressive when Madeline says, "You did awesome, Dad." Right. I do well. That's up in the air at this point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks again, Aaron. And uh, we'll come back with some more junkyard beers, tastes, and thoughts. Your dad's great. Well, this has been a Predicate Productions episode of Brews, Booze, and Reviews. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at Brews, Booze, and Reviews at Hotmail.com. We here in the dungeon also want to give thanks to Todd Ruziska and Amy Klein from Beware the Vine for permission to use their song, Sex, Drugs, and Cabaret, off the album of the same name. If you like the song and want to hear more from Beware the Vine, or wish to buy any songs, you can go to cdbaby.com slash cd slash Beware the Vine and make your purchases there. We also want to give thanks to Ryan Dahl for his fantastic graphic design work in creating our logos. If you like this podcast and want to hear more, please rate and review our podcast. We appreciate the feedback we get from our listeners in helping us make better content for future episodes. On behalf of everyone at Brews, Booze, and Reviews, may your glasses be full and your spirits high. Cheers! Cheers.